when John says we're supposed to love each other. Listen to, and you can look in the back of your sermon outline, you see the full text of our scripture this morning. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. So far, the reading of God's Word. Do you ever talk to yourself? Am I the only one? I like this t-shirt. The guy says, quiet! I'm talking to myself. Now, I know, I know. What do they say that when you talk to yourself, it's a sign of, of what? Craziness. I don't think it's so crazy. Yeah, I know. If, if, you're, if you're hearing voices that are not familiar to you, yeah, that, that can be problematic. But, you know, it is a good thing. It is a healthy thing to process in your own mind what you believe and what you know about God and about life. And what John gives us in this passage, in this text of Scripture, is the stuff of self-conversation about something that's very important to him, about love. And we need to learn how to talk to ourselves about why I should deny myself and care about you, about why I should forget my interest and actually want to look out for your interest. Why should I do that? How do I do that? Where's the model for how I do that? And so, again, this is the third time John is commanding us to love each other, and he, he equips us to think about this love. Now, when I first came to this church uh, eight years ago, we spent the first three months together studying love. First three months. Will we love each other? And when we came here, I think the church was a bit weary and there were some struggles and, and we just studied the love of God to us and then through us. And it was a wonderful healing time, I think, for the church. And, and that's because, according to the Apostle John as well as the Apostle Paul, love is the greatest gift. You can have faith, you can hope, have hope, you can have love, but the greatest of these is what? The greatest is love. And so, what is this all about, this love? You know, there, you've heard me say, there's four Greek words for our one English word, love. And it's interesting. You have the word eros. What is eros? That's erotic, sexual, the tingles kind of love um, of romance. And that, that's translated eros. There's, there's uh, philios. That's where you get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Yes, right, that wonderful city that I come from. 
uh, and it, it, that, that, that's friendship love. Then there's storge. Storge is the, 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 the love of a preference. I like milkshakes, but I storge coffee milkshakes, extra thick, right? That's storge. But this word here in our text, the word in 1 Corinthians 13, the word that Jesus speaks again and again is the Greek word agape, agape love. And that is the beautiful, self-forgetting, serving, caring affection and and uh, laying down of your life from the interest of somebody else. That's agape love, and that's what he's talking about here. You know, we have a lot of people in this church who really have a handle on agape, self-serving, self-forgetting, and serving love. But we've also had an agape drain in this church. Let's be honest, even even in the past year, We've seen Lou and Ann Farrow move to Pennsylvania. Ann was the chair of our mercy committee, and Lou was faithful working around fixing our facilities. And Sean and Jean Kirk just moved to Dallas, and she set up the food pantry to help people every Friday. And Sean worked in our technology department and, and helped us so much behind the scenes. And Galen Collins, Galen moves to Harvard God bless him. He'll do well at Harvard, but he's in his postdoctoral fellowship. But Galen gave himself to the discipleship of people and to pray for people. And, um, and uh, now Brandon and Jen are moving off to Colorado. We have experienced a pretty substantial agape drain from our church, let alone I see the Christians are here, Christiansons are here from Hong Kong, and Todd is a deacon in our church, and the, the Lees and the Somies and, and the Zimmermans and, and so many others. So what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? It does mean the rest of us need to step up. The rest of us, we want to give ourselves in agape love, in that ministry that Jesus has for us. So as he develops his theme here, look in your sermon outline, there's three very important points. First is that God is the source of all love. That's verse 7 and 8. And then, number two, God models what genuine love is. And thirdly, God commands us to love each other. And it's all in this self-conversation. He gives us the stuff to say, okay, 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 I hear you for the third time already. Love each other, church. Well, where does love come from? I says to myself. Aha! He tells us in verse 7, God is the source of love. Love comes from God. And what he's saying is you can search high and low, you can go east and west, and you can go looking for love in all the wrong places. But you will ultimately discover that the source, the origin of love, is God Almighty, is God Himself. Think of the mighty river, the Danube. I think uh, Miklos is back from Hungary today. And there's Budapest, and flowing through the great capital is the great river Danube. But where does it come from? Way up in the Black Forest, in the beautiful mountains of the Black Forest, is this spring, and they've actually built an iron uh, well around the spring in, uh, in this little German village uh, called Donaushingen, and there is the headwaters of the mighty Danube River, the longest river that runs 
bringing water and life to much of Europe is the source. Well, that's what he's saying here. God is the source of love, the wellspring of love. And then he says, and you are born of God, and you know God. And so obviously, if God is love and you're born of God, and he's remembering, remember Jesus, John is a disciple of Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus was telling about this conversation with this fellow Nicodemus. And remember what he said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You must be born again, born from above. And, and I get, that's what's true about every Christian. Every Christian has gone from death to life, has a, has a new birth, and, and, um, and we now know God. And it makes a difference in how I live. Hmm, God is the source of love. And then John does as he often does, and he puts it in the negative. And he says, if you don't love, you don't know God. And this is uh, pretty, pretty uh, intense stuff. He says, there may be people who come to church on Sunday mornings, and they claim to know God, but they don't love. There's no love evidence. And if you don't have that evidence of love in your life, then don't kid yourself. Just because the pew is warm underneath you, it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. And he's saying that there's an oxymoron, and it's this. A loveless Christian. A loveless Christian is an oxymoron. That's, that's how John puts it. And so he makes this powerful statement. For God is love. Now let's say you're down at the picnic this afternoon and, and uh, you meet a stranger down there at Roosevelt Park and they say, oh, you're with a church. You guys believe in God. And then they say, okay, you, 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 you church person, describe God to me. What would you say? If somebody said to you, describe God to me, how would you answer them? And uh, in this church, boy, we love to talk about God. And it is a part of our discipleship to take all the scriptures and to study. It's called the study of the attributes of God. And it's very important so that we know God as he's actually revealed himself. You need to get in the Bible and you study things about him. For example, we speak of the incommunicable attributes of God. That is to say, the things about God that are only true about God. God is all-powerful. I'm not all-powerful, but God is all-powerful. We call that omnipotence, and, and God is everywhere. I can only be at one place and one time. God is omnipresent by His Spirit, and, and um, God, I can't know everything, but God knows everything. God is omniscient, and yet there are communicable attributes, things about God that He, sh he shares with me in my humanity. God is a moral being. I am a moral being. God is a social being. I am a social being. God is a purposeful, creative being, and you are purposeful, creative beings. So, so some of the things about God are only true about God, and other things He has incorporated into man in His image. And yet, yet, there are these wonderful places in Scripture where the writer, the author of Scripture, describes God in one word, for example, 
Jesus is talking to that sophisticated woman at the well, and they start talking about worship, and then Jesus says, God is spirit. So if somebody down at the park today says, well, describe God to me, you might say, God is a spirit. He is spirit. He's not corporal. He's not bound by length, width, time, and space. Or John says earlier in this very book we studied, God is light. God is light in a very dark world. God is light. The writer of Hebrews says, Our God is a consuming fire. That is, He is full of holy energy, holy and righteous energy of His very character. He is dynamic. He is all-powerful. The the mightiest galaxy with all the suns and stars flaming are nothing compared to God, a consuming fire. But now, here, right here, in one word, God is love. And this is not God in the abstract. You say, isn't God the creator? Yes, but He is lovingly creative. That is, His creation is the manifestation of His love. And you say, isn't God the Savior? Yes, He is, but He is lovingly um, salvific. That is, He is lovingly one who saves. And isn't God the judge? Yes, He is the judge. But even in His judgment, as He pours out His wrath on those who are wicked and cruel, on those who who have have lived their lives shaking their fist against them and hurting and and, uh, people who have abused other people and and cruel tyrants and, and those who have gossiped and those who were bullies and those who were mean and wicked. And even when God pours out His wrath, He does it out of His love, even for His people. That's why in Revelation, the saints who are laboring, the martyrs, they cry out, How long, O Lord, how long? But they know that when that judgment day comes, there will be a manifestation of the love of God as He punishes the wicked out of love. Wow, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? But God, God is love, self-giving. It's the essence of God. Wow, so... God is the source of all love. Well, that leads to the second question in my conversation with myself. Well, then, how do I know just what this love looks like? Hmm. And John says, God is the model for love. Next week's passage is going to say, we love because He first loved us. You see, if you want to find out where God is, if you need a model for, I'm sorry, if you want to find out where love is, if you need a model for love, I'm not here today to tell you, look at me. That would be a pretty pathetic model. And I don't know if there's somebody else here who wants to stand up and say, oh, oh, it's me, it's me, I'm the model of perfect love. But I don't think so. I think the Apostle John knows the perfect model of love. It's God. What do we see? Even within the Trinity, even within the Trinity, we are told He sent His Son so that we might live through Him. That Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven because He saw the misery and sin and brokenness of this world. And many authors have tried to capture this, many painters, I don't know how how to understand this, that that through through, uh, 
into this universe, into the created world. So came the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, coming into the world. Becoming a single cell that first Christmas morning. Living a life of humiliation among us. Giving himself in ministry and sacrifice. He's the model for us. You know, John's maybe thinking, it, it says here, he sent his son so that we might live through him. What is this life? He, and I bet he's remembering, I bet John is remembering uh, what he recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, where the disciples are sitting with Jesus, and, and, and Jesus says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, right? I like that translation. I came that they might have life abundantly. So in that purpose, he says, here's why I'm here on this, what C.S. Lewis describes the ministry of Jesus Christ as visiting the planet. He says, we are living on a visited planet. The Son of God has come into the world that we might have life we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive in Christ Jesus. Think about this. Talk to yourself about this. This is amazing. But then the next verse goes on and describes the results of this giving, and it says, He loved us, and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we're back to the same word that I taught you about from chapter 2, it's called the propitiation of our sins. Do you remember this word? It's a big word. When is the last time you used this word, propitiation? But it's a very accurate translation. Our translation says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But there, That's a decent translation, but this is a better one. What is propitiation? It is the appeasement of erasing of God's wrath against sinners by means of atoning sacrifice. The appeasement, I think I, that's a typo, I should have typed or. The appeasement or erasing of God's wrath against sinners by means of atoning sacrifice. You see, Christ is our propitiation. And we're back in chapter 2. If anyone sins... We have an advocate with God the Father. Who is that advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The righteous one. Am I the righteous one? I'm not the righteous one. There's only one who is righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, we are told in chapter 2, verse 1, is our advocate before God. He's our defense lawyer. And he speaks to the Father on our behalf, and he pleads his good works and his righteousness on our behalf. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, where the word propitiation is, it says he uh, comes and he lays down his life, and, he, and, and, um, and, and the picture there is he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this means that he turns away God's wrath. What, what's the old-fashioned word? He assuages God's wrath. He turns it away. He diverts it by standing and letting it hit him, and it, the wrath is turned away. And then God's smile, the smile that God has for his son, his smile is over us. That is propitiation. 
He takes the hit. He makes us right before God. What, one of the best illustrations I ever heard of this was the story of a man in England who owned a Rolls Royce. Beautiful, is it the silver shadow, you know? And, and he wants to tour Europe. And so he puts his Rolls Royce on the ferry and he goes across, starts off in France and makes his way uh, down into Italy and something goes wrong with the motor. And his car breaks down. And so from his hotel room, he calls Rolls-Royce back in England. And he says, my car, I'm here in, in this villa in Italy, and the engine won't work. And they say, don't worry about it. And that night, Rolls-Royce puts a mechanic on a plane flies him to a driver in Rome who drives up to this man's villa and during the night he repairs the engine and then as the driver waits and uh, several hours later gets back in the car, back to the airport, flies back to England and the car is running perfectly the next morning. The guy finishes his tour, goes back to England, calls Rolls-Royce, says, how much do I owe you for that? And Rolls-Royce says, we have no record of any problem with any Rolls-Royce. You see, that's propitiation. That's what has happened through Jesus Christ. He Himself is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, our justification of our sins. It's so beautiful. Paul puts it like this. Listen carefully to Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. Wow! If I'm talking to myself about this, you know what the conclusion is? God really loves me. God really loves me. He sent His Son that I might have life through Him. He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for my sins. He really loves me. He is the model for me. Well, then, if that's true, what then does God want? Self, I says, if all this is true, what does God want? And so John says, I want you to love each other, down in verses 11 and 12. Since God so loved us, John writes, we ought to love one another. Okay, here comes the love of God to me. And you'll notice I, I brought my little uh, lamp here. And... Um, what happens, friends, is that when you are born of God and you know God and you are loved of God, you are connected to God and the love of God flows through you like wires uh, connected to a source of electricity and you're connected to God and the world is affected by the light and the warmth in your life.
When we love each other, something amazing happens. Our text tells us. It says, even though God is invisible, we're going to see Him as His love is made complete in us. Apparently, you know, the Bible says in a number of places God is invisible. That's why the coming of Jesus was so important. But though He's invisible, apparently He can be seen everywhere. I've, uh, I've told you about some conversations I've had with atheists over the years. And, um, you know, the Bible says God is invisible, so my atheist friends will say something like this. I don't see God anywhere. And I hope you've learned to answer that by saying, I see God everywhere. I see Him everywhere. I see God in the amazing uh, manifestation of His wisdom in the human body when I study DNA and RNA. I study how the eyeball works and it takes accurate images to the brain when I see the clotting of blood. Every leaf that I see is a marvelous display of the majesty of, and wisdom of God as it takes energy from the sun that's 93 million miles away and turns it through photosynthesis into sugar that I can ingest and have energy and strength to live. I see God in the ocean and you go to the ocean and you discover the teeming life of abundance in animal and plant life in this marvelous cycle. You say, I see God everywhere. Yes, through His creation, you do. But according to John in this passage, there is another way you answer the atheist and you say, I see God. And the answer is, I see God in the love of His people. For the love of God is perfected. When Maggie and Patricia are working in the food pantry on Saturday mornings with Chinari and Bill, and they are greeting every person who comes through these doors to receive some groceries to help them out, and they not only get groceries but a word of encouragement and a little bit of hope and a smile and, and, a, and a statement that we care about you, we see God. When Woody visits someone in the hospital who is sick and maybe dying, and he comforts them and he ministers to them, we see God. When Marlene Rubino sets up communion for us that none of us ever see on a Sunday morning, and she comes and prepares the sacraments for us in, in dignity, and with reverence and honor so that we can feed on the Lord in the Lord's Supper because she loves this church. We see God. When my wife pours herself out to encourage and to disciple other women in this church, we see God. When Gil and Jane Colombo bake a cake and take it to every visitor that visits this church because they care, we see God. I see God's love. I, I got a letter this week. I, got, I wish I could share with you every letter that comes to our church. Here's just one I got this week. Dear elders and NSCC family, so it's written to you. Your support through this difficult time for my children and me has been a true blessing. 
The love and support we feel from all our church family reminds us that God truly has placed angels in this world and reminds us that he loves us. I probably got five or six letters like that this month. If we love one another, startling statement. He is made, his love is made complete in us. Oh, Now, that's actually a very daring statement because some will interpret that to say, does that mean God is incomplete or God is imperfect? Is that what John is somehow saying and God needed us to make himself perfect? No, 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 never. God is self-existent. He does not need us to survive. We need him to survive and exist. He doesn't need us. It's not saying God is incomplete, but it means that his love reaches its perfect state, like a nail. You go down to the hardware store and you buy a nail, that nail is complete. It's fine. It's a self-existing now nail. But the Greek word here uh, that, that is used for, if you take that nail and you hammer it in, as the youth group did this week, into, through a shingle onto the wood on the roof, And that nail is now holding the shingle that protects the roof so that when the rain comes, the house inside is now dry and warm. That nail has been perfected. It is doing what it should do. And every time any of these and many of your examples of love are displayed to the world, God's love is like that nail in that moment. And the world sees that God exists. Friends, we are to love one another. North Shore Community Church. There really is no agape drain if if one family moves away or if ten families move away. We know that God provides. He just continues the flow in. If one of these hands has to be removed, they move off of Long Island because they can't afford to live here or because of a job situation, another hand will come in and join the pinwheel. And together there will be strength and there will be unity as we love each other and display His love, actually perfecting His love in that way I just described to the world. Beloved, beloved, you are loved. If you're in this church, you are loved. You're loved by God. You are loved by us. Will you commit to loving I know. It requires time. It requires time. Your life is so busy. Your life is so full. The demands on your life are from every corner. Where will you find the time to actually stop worrying about yourself and to minister in the body of Christ sacrificially, eagerly? Takes time. That's the toughest part for all of us. I know your lives. That's the hardest part. Beloved, let us love one another. Put your hand in the pinwheel. What is my place? That we may love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we hear now the call, your call, the call of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would love each other. And we thank you. 
that you are that source of love. We don't need to look in all the wrong places. We can look at you. And we see that you're the source and the model of love for us. We pray we would be those, those kind of folks who say, I'm born of God and I know God. And I pray. Each one of us says, I pray, O oh Lord, you show me this very week how your love can be made manifest and perfected in me. I invite you, Lord, into my calendar that I will mull things over. I will have a conversation with myself. What does the Lord want? He wants me to love who, who, what, what, what section of this poor world is he calling me to love with his light and his warmth, his grace, his mer- your grace, your mercy? Show me, Lord. And we, we hear this call, Lord, on our lives, and it is unmistakable to us. We are not our own. We belong to you. So use us, we pray, this day, this week, this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song that Martin taught us this year together. Hear this call. Hear the call of the kingdom. Lift your eyes to the king. Let his song rise within you as 